0: Welcome to Data Points, a podcast by InterSystems Learning Services. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Links can be found at datapoints.intersystems.com. I'm Derek Robinson, and on this episode, we're interviewing InterSystems Service Executive, Chad Severtson, and J2 Senior System Engineer, Greg King, about mirroring in InterSystems products. Data Points Podcast by InterSystems Learning Services. I'm Derek Robinson. Today's episode is a lengthier one, but it's an episode that I think fills an important gap for many of our learners. The conversation today is all about mirroring, and it features two conversations with experts. The first interview you'll hear is with Chad Severtson, one of our service executives here at InterSystems. Then you'll hear my interview with Greg King, a senior system engineer at J2 one of InterSystems' partners. I'll preview the convo with Greg a little bit later, but first, let's hear Chad give us a high-level overview of mirroring and then dive into some of the important considerations learned from pain points that he's seen with customers. All right, Chad Severtson, service executive here at InterSystems, joins us on the podcast. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for taking the time. It's great to be here. Um, So one of the topics we were just talking offline before we started recording uh, that is most commonly uh, submitted to support that is a part of the conversation with InterSystems users that needs to be addressed is mirroring. Uh, So that's kind of the topic we're going into today. So kind of starting for people that may not be uh, innately familiar with this, give us the 10,000 foot view from the beginning of what mirroring is and why people should care, specifically InterSystems users should care.
1: So mirroring is kind of classic for us. It's the, uh, the great power, great responsibility paradigm that we know and love so much. But mirroring is really just the, the replication of journal data between two or more instances. That's it. That's all, that's all it really does. And there's some you know, background mechanics for high availability failovers and disaster recovery, et cetera. Yep. But really, we have this economic system where we can quantify exactly how much we value something. And to me, data availability is no different. It's a business decision at the end of the day. So it's incredibly expensive to not have access to your most important data. I don't, don't just mean dollars. Um, there's human costs as well. I've been in hospitals um, late at night uh, when their systems are down for one reason or another, and it comes to a grinding halt. Right. So there's plenty of situations where waiting to restore a backup isn't a viable solution and you have specific recovery point objectives or recovery time objectives that you have to meet for business reasons, especially when that time will grow as a function of data volume. So mirroring kind of fills a gap there. So a lot of the shiny modern paradigms like Kubernetes pod auto restarts or storage replication don't actually insulate against some of the more common failure modes. Mirroring basically solves physical data integrity issues, and it's a great way to protect against ransomware with a little extra work. Right, right. Taking a little bit of a closer look
0: um, at kind of what we might see in a typical scenario, right? What, what are we working with? I know, you know, you, people are probably familiar with normally having their databases, whatever servers their systems are running on. Maybe they're running in the cloud. Just from a general standpoint, tell us a bit about the architectural setup
1: of what a mirrored kind of deployment looks like. So to me, the key to successfully using mirroring is identical twins or triplets or quadruplets if they are really out to get you or you just really value your data. Uh, Make every aspect of the systems as identical as is feasible. So I use the everything as code philosophy here quite extensively. You need to have a single source of truth and then deploy out of that so that there's no drift between your instances. Mm -hmm. That's often where folks get into trouble and end up calling support. So the other piece with that is that you have to make sure your twins aren't conjoined in any way. Uh, Mirrored systems shouldn't have any shared dependencies. The real-world example I remember from the early days is you need to make sure a janitor can't unplug one thing that takes both mirror members offline to plug in their floor buffer. That that did, in fact, happen to some customers. <laughs> Yikes. So mirroring works by sharing journal files, like I said. It's just the transactional logs that are really the heartbeat of our, our technology. Mm-hmm. And that's why mirroring is immune to degrades. It's logically transporting rather than physically transporting the blocks. Yep. Right, right. Nice. Um, so kind of, you know going back
0: to the kind of a little bit of it you mentioned in your first answer, but kind of returning to the why, like what are, what are probably maybe two or three of the biggest benefits that you can see that come with mirroring? Because it's, I assume that it's not something people might think of on day one. And it's like, what is the incentive? Why should people beyond just, you know, good practice, what are some of the benefits that come with it when you're using InterSystems products? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: So as it says on the tin, mirroring can provide a high availability solution with automatic failover. But to me, one of the biggest benefits is that using mirroring encourages some healthy practices. Yeah. So to use mirroring successfully, you need to have coherent change control processes. I mean, this isn't really controversial in 2023, but it was a pretty big deal back in 2010 when we first launched the feature. Mm-hmm. So, And as I mentioned earlier, there's many different failure modes uh, where mirroring provides much better insulation than other technologies. Um, I mentioned the dreaded database degrades knocking on wood. Um, there's also like things like the Linux out of memory killer, uh, where it's going to take a whole lot longer to restart um, the instance and possibly the operating system than it does to fail over. So for the most critical applications, this is you know cutting that, that that pause time down to seconds rather than having an outage that lasts minutes.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that, may, that makes a lot of sense. You you, you mentioned a few times in that answer databases, and obviously databases make up the real heart of most people's applications and what they're doing with you know, their business and the things that they're solving in the world. But there is another piece of this, which is a lot of times there's stuff that is sitting outside of those databases, right? Um, what's the answer and, and how does that factor into mirroring when you think so database centric, when you're thinking of the concept of mirroring?
1: Yeah, this is absolutely where I've seen the most challenges for customers. Um, yeah, as you said, nothing outside the databases themselves will be mirrored. And nothing is transmitted other than the journal files, well, the, the data within the journal files to quibble. Um, we have some great new features coming in this area. But currently, things like instance configuration, security configuration, even you know users within Iris itself, um, system tasks and external files are not eligible for mirroring. Okay. Uh, I think I said earlier that everything should be yeah. code and this includes that right, um, right. That, that type of configuration, regardless of what your deployment strategy is, you need to have a coherent strategy where you can deploy you um, know using the buzzword of oh. item potently mm-hmm. um, to make sure that it's consistent, uh, not just you know between deployments, but between mirror members as well, right? Uh, for things like external files, though, um, there's plenty of different options that can be adapted to whatever your, your strategy is and wherever you're running it. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen customers use shared storage. I've seen file replication technologies. I've seen yeah. some customers use third-party solutions, more like a Dropbox-type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of customers will actually bring those files into the .dat files as well. Um, that's fully supported um, with a technology we call Streams, yep. where you can take a blob and bring it inside the .dat file itself. Right, right. Nice. Yeah, it's. It sounds to me like a lot of, a lot of the elements
0: of that answer tie in very closely with one of your benefits you mentioned earlier, which is encouraging good practices. Right. A lot of those things that fall outside of your yeah. your database go hand in hand with the things that maybe even if you weren't using that configuration would be good practice from the standpoint of maintaining
1: your system and building your applications, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not something that we, we talk about too often, right. but um, to me, the healthiest customers are the ones that are using mirroring because, because of, of those fringe benefits. Right, exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. So um, moving to a few topics
0: that I think a lot of people who may, like myself even, who haven't been necessarily hands-on with mirroring, but have learned about it and, and familiar with conversations around it, uh, two concepts that tie very closely to mirroring are high availability and disaster recovery. However, I don't think, I don't, I get the impression that they're not exactly just the same as mirroring. So tell us how those
1: two concepts relate to mirroring in this conversation. So to me, high availability and disaster recovery are the specific business objectives and mirroring is the tool that you're using to achieve those. Yep. Um, And I often find that the line between the two is blurred, and depending on how how you have things set up, one can meet some of the needs of the others, um, depending on your specific needs, of course. But with our mirroring product, our, our async mirror DR members can be promoted to full synchronous members. This can be incredibly seamless during periods of you know degraded services. I always think of a squirrel nibbling on the network cables. Yep. Um, but if there's a total outage, like you know hedge clippers were involved uh, and really caused some network isolation, you need to more carefully decide if you want to promote the DR members. Yep. Depending on the nature of the outage, you may choose to accept some data loss for greater availability. It's ultimately a business decision at the end of the day and not one you should be making at 2 a.m. Right. So- so high availability to me is guaranteeing access to the data. Disaster recovery is just a more extreme version of that, where you're saying that all of you know plans A, B, and C have failed, now what? Right. And mirroring does make that process quite a bit more seamless. Right. Um, so I mentioned earlier, there's one area where I diverge from the identical twins paradigm. Um, Ransomware is an all too common disaster these days, and... Mirroring can be a way to insulate against that particular form of evil. Um, One strategy I've been suggesting to customers that are worried about that is setting up an asynchronous DR member, but with completely separate security controls so that if your main systems are compromised, this one can still be merrily running somewhere else. The only thing that should flow into that black box is updates from the mirror. That way you'll always have a fresh copy of your data, even if the rest of your infrastructure has been taken down.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so kind of an innovative way to, to be, you know, making sure that you're guarded against different you know, points of failure that may exist. Um, all of that sounds like a great way to prevent data loss, to keep yourself from a disaster. But one of the, you know, I don't know if I want to call it a downside, but one thing I'm hearing here is a lot of doubling up of systems, right? So tell us a little bit about the impact that mirroring might have on my cost of operation. If I, let's say I implement every single thing you've described, where I've got, you know, uh, the, four identical twins and you've got all the different systems that really match each other. Uh, tell us about the impact that it does have on your cost of operation.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Mirroring increases your cost. It's a business decision mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And it's up to each organization to decide how much access to their data is worth and how much that downtime costs. Uh, I mean, common factors are, do they have SLAs? Will they need to pay penalties if customers or partners lose access to that data? Uh, what are the opportunity costs? I've seen a wide range of studies about how much the downtime actually can cost a business. Uh, they're older numbers, but you know, 50 to $75,000 per hour is common. Uh, but beyond that, mirroring can actually end up you know saving money at, by the end of the day by reducing the need for you know outages for scheduled maintenance. Um, it's not just that you know future hypothetical cost; um, it's real world ongoing costs that it helps reduce as well. I know you know site reliability engineering and error budgets are all the rage, um, and I'm on board with that. And that's fine for consumer-facing services, but a lot of our customers are in critical industries and they have higher standards for you know availability of the system that extends beyond, does my smartphone currently have signal? Uh, one other thing that's worth mentioning about costs, um, one of the major sources of cost in cloud is related to storage. So it's in- immediately unappealing to have to have multiple copies of your data. There are ever-increasing numbers of offers out there to allow some sort of deduplication technology. Mm -hmm. And I would urge some amount of caution around that because part of the value of mirroring is that they are two completely separate and logical copies of the data rather than physical copies of the data. So I have some skepticism on that front. Um, But at the end of the day, it really depends on what your business objectives are. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, different angles to think about there with the cost, kind of turning it a little bit on its head from the idea of this financial cost. Uh, what, if any, performance cost you end up paying? Is there an impact on your performance of your application, your system, anything like that, positive or negative, I guess, when it comes to mirroring on top of all of the kind of safety and prevention kind of mindset
1: that you have here? So uh, I keep a few props next to my desk. Uh, One's a copy of the NIST 1984 green book that describes minimum password lengths based on the number of guesses per second for a 300 baud modem in the 80s. Um, The other is a speed limit sign for the speed of lights. The major limitation for performance is network latency. To ensure data durability, the transfer of the journal data really needs to be synchronous. That really requires a round trip. It's the old networking joke. Want to hear a UDP joke? Yeah, sure. Let's hear it. I don't care if you don't get it. (laughs) Uh, But beyond that, um, I've seen customers demote their synchronous mirror members when performing a bulk load of data to lessen the impact. So there absolutely is a network latency cost you need to factor in. But it's not for every operation, only particular ones. Uh, on the other hand, that means it's generally a poor practice to put synchronous mirror members in separate regions in CloudSpeak. Uh, anything really more than separate zip codes. Right. Uh, there's basically no impact for asynchronous DR members. Uh, those can easily be in a different cloud region or even a different continent. Gotcha.
0: So yeah, good, good things to consider there, but overall, nothing that people necessarily need to you know, consider as like, oh, man, mirroring is going to slow down my application. It's really all about that latency and, and being aware of, of where you're where the pieces of your system are residing. Um, so kind of wrapping it up here with a final question for you, what other considerations or best practices come to mind, especially, you know, coming back to the real specifically inner systems users? W- what other considerations should they leave with from this conversation when
1: it comes to mirroring uh, in their products? Test, test, test. <laughs> test, test. (laughs) Um, There's an expression among my people. It's always DNS. Networking issues are a common cause behind all sorts of weird symptoms. And mirroring depends on your network. Mm -hmm. And specifically, the ability of all of your ancillary applications to be repointed to the correct mirror member at the right time. We provide a couple different uh, technical solutions for this and a couple different reference architectures for that, but making sure that you've exhaustively tested both high availability failovers Mm -hmm. as well as disaster recovery, asynchronous mirror member promotions well in advance of when you need them is absolutely the most important practice when it comes to mirroring. Uh, one more is to avoid drift at all costs i mentioned before treat everything like code have that single source of truth Uh, differences in resources or configuration can be a really big problem at 2am and this happens most frequently when you think of one particular mirror member as the one that should be always the primary so whatever you do, don't name your instances, things like primary or backup. <laughs> it gets really confusing when their roles shift over time. Right. I think it's best to you know consider a transient role rather than an identity. Right. Nice. Uh, if you have any other questions, we have great sales engineers, some helpful learning resources and a world-class support organization to help you out. Right, right. Absolutely.
0: And, and I can vouch for those things you mentioned there. You know, everyone in my experience and most customers' experiences, I think uh, everyone's very helpful when whenever you reach out for for help on these topics. So, uh, Chad, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your expertise on mirroring. And we'll have to circle back soon uh, to have some more uh, in-depth conversations on it. So thanks again.
1: Great. Thanks, Derek. This was a blast. Appreciate it.
0: So there's the interview with Chad, and I want to thank him again for taking the time. Next, we'll hear from Greg King. Much like Chad, Greg has a wealth of hands-on experience with mirroring. This conversation starts a bit beyond the basics and dives into what Greg has seen in the field with his implementation projects. And if you stick around till the final question, I think you'll find that Greg's key takeaway has some striking similarity to Chad's. All right, and we have Greg King joining us from J2. Greg is a systems engineer for J2. Greg, how's it going?
2: Good, good. Good to be here. Thank you, Derek.
0: Yeah, thanks. So uh, glad to have you on the podcast. We have been lately trying to feature more of our uh, partners and non-Intersystems folks uh, on the podcast to get more perspectives uh, on some of this content. So uh, it's great to hear your perspective here. And I guess we'll start there by having you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what your role is at J2 and your your history with Intersystems Technologies.
2: Well, um, starting with the history, I mean, my I've been using Intersystems technology since uh, I think this is my 26th year oh, nice. so it's seen some changes uh, along that time and um, in the last five years I've been working with J2 as a system engineer yep. so I help our, our mutual clients right I help them um, set up their the system side of using of uh, of their installation so right. that's and it's all Iris-based. Gotcha.
0: Nice, nice. Um, so in today's conversation, we're kind of honing in a bit on mirroring, um, a topic that uh, is really frequently used, but oftentimes lacks some of that in-depth um, content That, that for, as far as our domain goes to be able to really give people a deep dive into it. So uh, first, we wanted to talk a little bit about how mirroring actually plays into your role. So when you are, are working on implementations and, and using Iris or other systems products, Tell us a bit how mirroring at a high level plays into what you do as far as your implementation projects
2: go. Oh sure, it, and it's 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 a vital it's a vital part of all of our projects. Um, and uh, to uh, in, for the most part, the projects I work on are health share, so the health share stack. Um, but there's quite a few that are in the iris for health, but it's all at that level. Right. Um, so there's always this need um, in the live environment for high availability, right? Yeah. That's that's the biggest, you know, uh, system level question um, that comes up, and that's where we can use mirroring, right? There are other ways, but we can use mirroring to ensure um, the highest possible uptime for their live environments. Um, so so it's always it's always in there. And, um, no matter, also whether we're the VMware virtual machine kind of infrastructure, or we're up in the cloud, um, even uh, had a couple of uh, container based installations. Um, you know, yeah. mirroring is all, always plays a role. Right, right.
0: Obviously, an important part to consider whenever you're you're deploying the, you know systems like that. One of the key concepts you just mentioned is high availability, and so. You know, when it comes to the concept, you know, we've had, like you mentioned, there are a few different ways that you could achieve high availability. But when it comes to the concept of, you know, failing over to a backup mirror member, tell us some of the ways that you look at it when you're implementing to try to increase the likelihood of that failover going smoothly, to make sure that no problems arise during the process of failing over from the primary to the backup.
2: Sure. Um, The first, I think I would start off by saying a shout out. To Systems Learning Services, the documentation team, the folks that wrote the documentation, because they're you know look at the high availability guide, um, you know that's key, right? right. So, uh, the and and the 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 piece in there that we start with to ensure high availability is topology, like how how are we. Hooking up the networks. What size are our machines? Um, all of those pieces um, are, are the first l- line, right? right? So, first getting everything sort of installed and where it needs to go. And again, you know, the high availability guide really, really has you know every every release is is, is a good thing to um, right to reference. So get that right, yeah. right? Yeah. So start there um, and. Uh, but start with a, you know, and having a robust, high availability, right, isn't just about mirroring, right, but having a robust set of, of, of policies, procedures, and setup on, on, just so that the primary side of your mirror is going to be working well. Right. But ultimately, the, um, uh, if you think about mirroring, right, and we're just talking about failover mirroring here, uh, yeah. at least for high availability purposes. Um, Disaster recovery would be a different concept, but um, for high availability, we want that failover scenario where we lose our primary side of the mirror um, to be uh, uh, to 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 have our backup member automatically take over. Right. right? I mean, without human intervention, everything just works, you know, going forward. Um, So after you've got everything set up and, you know, and the basic mirror stuff set up. Um, keeping uh, uh, an eye on that uh, idea that some things are not mirrored, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So uh, um, iris mirroring is a technology that mirrors the databases, right? Your iris.dat, the changes to a mirrored iris.dat get sent over to the other side. But what about all the other stuff that's not in a mirrored iris.dat? You know, and that's... um, that and and working in the HealthShare stack, right? So we that's our application, HealthShare. share. Mm-hmm. Um, that application has lots of stuff uh, about that it needs um, to properly run. That is not stored in a um, mirrored database file. Right. So um, so how do we deal with that? And that's that's part of that setup process. And then it's part of an ongoing. Uh, a process, right? Every time something changes, it needs to change configuration wise, code wise, um, uh, other things um, within Share, We need to make sure that that gets to both sides of the mirror.
0: Right, right. Cool. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, I think uh, going off of that, it sounds like sort of the key things, you know, keeping that in mind, making sure that you're monitoring, you know, what is going to be covered by that mirror, by the, you know, the mirror database, all the things that are in your database, but also making sure you're keeping tabs on those things that fall outside of that purview, right. When it comes to things that are stored in other places.
2: To, to build then on that last bit, I wanted to make sure that, you know, there are ways of automating or, or, or setting up the mirror, your mirror systems so that it can take care of as much of that, Um, stuff that isn't, quote, mirrored, Mm -hmm. um, you know, automatically, right? Right. So beyond, so it's trying to deal with things that are not mirrored because they happen to be in a mirrored database. Um, We're talking about, in this case, um, items that are in your your percent sys or iris sys database, right? So we can't mirror that. Mm -hmm. Then um, the other piece um, would be files, right? So files at the file system level and depending on how your application is structured but even but house Share does use a fair number of csp or, or you know the web um uh, files that end up at the um, operating system level so we need some way of keeping those in sync when they need to change right. now a web page might not change all that often but um it changes with a, a code update. And, you know, there are lots of reasons it might change. Um, so we need a, a mechanism to keep those files. Um, another piece is, um, certificates that are used for your TLS and security. That's yep. oftentimes a file, right? We need to make sure all of that is synced across all the different members of the mirror pair of the right. mirror sets. Um, and there are operating system tools. Right, there are some operating system tools that can do that. Uh, Linux would have rsync. Maybe you mm-hmm. you set something like that up. Um, or um, uh, another option is that um, you you have a shared disk system underneath, and you map all of your CSP or all your files that need to be the same on both sides of your mirror. They go to a shared disk underneath. So there's only one copy of it under there, mm-hmm. but. Um, you're guaranteed that both sides of the mirror can see it, see the exact same copy. Right, right. Uh, so that's you know, so that has to be taken into account. Now, another thing that folks do, um, depending on complexity of the setup, I suppose, is um, automating um, or during deployment and yep. and, and um, uh, progression of code up from lower environments, like from a non-mirrored development environment to a mirrored stage or UAT environment they just are sure to deploy code to both sides of the mirror, right? Depending on your deployment techniques. Um, But that requires everyone to remember that. So, uh, you know, and have a policy, but, so having an automated way of keeping that stuff in sync is key. Right, right, Um, that makes sense. I do want, uh, so, and then the third thing about keeping those non-mirrored items up to date, in the HealthShare, Iris for Health and HealthShare realm, of the inner systems products, we've got a nice, a fancy uh, toolkit for us um, that uh, has come out in and has uh, in the last few years. I, I don't exactly remember when it started, but the um, uh, there's a mirror monitor agent that comes included. If you have an HS database in your installation, you're going to have this. Um, and, and it's its job is uh, to you know reading the description of it in the docs the job is to keep non- mirrored things that are in irisis mirrored and over onto the other side right um, and so uh, you know understanding that that's there, and if you're just running iris for health, it's something you have to start yourself mm-hmm. you know you it's not going to just be there if you're running the health share stack, it'll be there for you right. um, relies on a Special mirror database that's already there, and it gives us a, a, a tool, uh, a class, um, the hs uh, dot hc dot system config API class that allows you to make a change on the primary side of the mirror, and then the mirror monitor agent makes sure that change flows over to the other side. Right, really cool, um, and and it's you know as it gets better every time. There's more added to it with every release, uh, last few releases for sure. Um, very stable. Um, and if you add another mirror member, a DR member, it automatically just syncs that stuff right across over to the third one. Right uh, now nice. it's well thought out. Um, and, uh, we, so we use, use that in our setup, right? So setting up the mirror to begin with, and then we need to create CSP web apps, we need to create. Uh, user accounts and roles and resources and all these things that are stored in that iris uh, Area database that's not mirrored, right? If we use the API, they just automatically go across Right and one last thing about that in that same vein Right, we also end up using, you know, we've created some tools at J2 um, that we can use that um, Check both sides, right? And so so moving forward you know, we now have the you know if you are using our tools, <laughs> we can um, keep a, a, a tabs on the differences between the two sides, and either depending on your tolerance, um, either make the change if we see yep. a difference, yep. uh, or or just alert someone and say, hey, you know, this guy has, this this side has four, 40 rolls and this side only has thirty nine. This is the one that's different. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, go look. Right. But um. Right. Those are, I think (laughs) that covers, covers that.
0: Great. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like there's, you know, uh, more and more tools coming out from both inner systems from J2, like ways to be able to keep track of those things that you need to monitor after your initial setup of your, your primary and your backup with all the things that, you know, need to be there that that are not automatically mirrored out of the box. Right. Um, So Mm -hmm. one more topic to ask about there is the concept of arbiters. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what those are and where they fit into the
2: equation? Yeah, so uh, small, insignificant piece of software it seems, but but so important, and um, and and again, well highlighted in the docs. So um, you know that's the part. um, So the arbiter uh, is the little is the piece of software that allows the two sides of the mirror to decide is the other side up or down. This is my yep. simplistic thought about this. Uh, and and therefore, in a fail when a primary side's failing, the arbiter can help the other side decide, am I alone or do I know the you know there's a the, the primary's down? What do I know? So it's it's so some failure failovers can occur if you do not have automatically occur, if you do not have an arbiter. but but there's more, but most of the failure situations. Would be um, work better, right? Yeah. It would be more more seamless uh, if you do have an arbiter properly placed, such that uh, in your network, such that if you lose the um, uh, one of the primary side, you're not also losing your arbiter, right? If some some failure causes your primary to go away, you're not also it's not also causing your arbiter to go away,
1: right? Right. Um,
2: so so and and the, so the network topology again comes into play there. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so kind of
0: stepping back for a minute from this failover scenario that we've been talking about and coming back into a normal operation, you know, a a scenario where you're not failing over to, to the other member of the mirror. What are some things, if any, that you need to consider when you're accessing a primary mirror member versus just if you're not in a mirrored uh, setup and you're just accessing Iris or HealthShare or whatever it is without a mirrored setup, what are, what are considerations when you're accessing that primary member?
2: Yeah. So, um, so the key concept to I think to grasp in that to answer that question is that only the primary side of your mirror is both read write. So we think of it in the health share realm. Only the primary side is does anything mm-hmm. right. So we never you while you could technically use the backup member as a read only kind of a database. Yep. Uh, you know you might someone might have. A use case for that so go for it but if we <laughs> think about the primary side being the real side that's where data exchange that's where we store everything that's you know where we read everything yeah. um, you know whatever access your users right so not a system engineer administrator like me but your user base or your uh, you know where your interfaces are coming into, or something. They need to always hit the primary, even if the primary is the other, mach- you know, the other right, side, right? right? Um, so the k- sort of um, by default, um, you know, or, or the typical way, maybe, is a way to say it is the um, iris and mirroring present a virtual IP, right? When when and they do that by you know assigning a known IP. To the server, it's the primary side of the mirror is is start is starting on. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that IP follows the primary as it bounces back and forth potentially in failovers, and then your user base can connect. And, and and that's a really general term, a thing I just said. But you know your user base can connect to the VIP, the mirror virtual IP, uh, and be guaranteed to be connecting to the server that has the primary side of the mirror. Right. Right. Now, it doesn't always work. (laughs) And where it doesn't work by default is in the cloud. So, um, you know, Amazon and um, Google and Azure and Microsoft don't allow us to assign a VIP in the same way um, uh, that we do in in our own VMware or bare metal type environments. Right. Uh, So we have to do something else. Um, And there are a couple of different something else's out there. And and here's where I want to throw a shout out to the developer community or the inner systems Mm -hmm. community, uh, where there's some really nice articles about how people have gotten around that um, in cloud environments. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you know, so, so there's some clever use of, uh, embedded Python is yeah. one of them. I, I yeah. looked at the other day and, and it's great. Um, and, uh, but, um, if you can't go down that route, the, what we do in the health share realm these days and health share, again, if you think about health share, it's, it's actually a bunch of mirrored pairs, right? So mm-hmm. health share is a federated installation. so a bunch of viruses all mirrored to another bunch of viruses, um, to create that. Um, so what what we do is, and then access to HealthShare comes in, in two major forms um, from that user community. And one is HTTPS, so coming over a secure web uh, connection. And that's for Hitting the you know the system management portal or the portal specific to HealthShare pieces, mm-hmm. or it's our APIs. You know, exposed Fire APIs are exposed over HTTPS. Right, right. So, so what we have in that case is we have the Iris Web Gateway. So the Iris Web Gateway sits out there, running on a web server. Right. So it has it's paired with our web server, mm-hmm. um, and we get to put that out in sort of a DMZ. Sort of a, right. a little zone that's not you're not directly hitting the servers where where the mirror is running yeah. um, our primary side. You're you're coming in and hitting this um, via load balancer and via firewalls further out. You come in through there, and the iris web gateway um, is uh, can be mirror aware. So as a connection comes into one of our CSP pages, right, um, system management portal, health share, clinical viewer. Uh, anything um, as it comes in um the, the uh, iris web gateway takes over and it knows about both sides of our mirror and in-house here we have a bunch of them so it knows about all of them and it depending on the URL coming in it can direct that user connection off to the primary side of the mirror that's our key way to do it yeah and then and that's in the cloud by the way yeah, so right, right, so right. many things are in the cloud these days yeah. that that's kind of yeah, normal the last one though the other way that um folks come into health share is or any interoperability production out there right so interfaces kind mm-hmm. of thing will will be coming in through a tcp port so not right. https so they're either connecting to an hl7 interface or um or jdbc let's say they want to query Uh, Our Health Insight, you know, um, installation. Well, they have to connect to the primary, too. We can't have a VIP. We're not up for some of the fancy stuff that's in the community. Maybe we will be someday. But they'll connect to, um, uh, we can utilize uh, what, um, like, Amazon calls a network load balancer. Mm -hmm. And so what it it knows is, um, you know, that something coming in on the port 1972, trying to hit, a, a, a virtual IP that the load balancer presents out, tries to hit it at a 1972, the load balancer says, oh, well, for 1972, I'm supposed to hit, you know, mirror member A or mirror member B, but I don't know which one. Well, how does it know which one? inner system supplies us with uh, a health check, HTTPS, so it's it's actually going to hit the, it hits both sides and it's in and, and that, uh, the IRIS web gateway that's running on the database servers themselves will return either success or failure. And then the load balancer, so we'll only transmit that data, uh, that connection to the primary, to the side that re- returns success. And it returns success if it is the primary. Right. Does so that make sense? Yeah. So, so they yeah. come in. It's, so it's called a load balancer, but we're not really balancing the load. Mm-hmm. We're always hitting the, the one that says success. But right. um, and then if, if you looked at the load balancer, it would say, you know, one of your targets is down, but mm-hmm. um, come in that way. Yeah. So now you've done that, right? So you've got right. the Iris Web Gateway for your HTTPS. You have a network load balancer for your non other TCP. But you as a system administrator may need to hit both sides, mm-hmm. right? Because you as a system administrator might yeah. have to go in and connect to your backup member. But these two methods I just said always take you to. Your primary side mm-hmm. so you have to have a back door yeah right, right. so we have to um because so in the iris web gateway you can either use the same one we we're talking about or have a different set but um we just let them know we don't we don't we tell them not to be mirror aware yeah right know? right if i want to connect to b i can connect to b but right. you know it's a limited number of people that Right, makes sense.
0: So, really keeping the for, for those end users, you know, you really have to make sure that that's set up correctly so that they always end up at that primary, but you need to have those other options for your administrators and, and the people that actually need to get that access. So,
2: yes, so that's right. So, you, you have to have that access. And I want to just point out or remind folks that, yeah. you know, um, rightly so, I think that, but um, Inner Systems is removing the built in private web server. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that, that's something we've been taking into an account, uh, J2, for a couple of years now, because you shared, you know, we yeah. know that, right? You've put out that this was coming mm-hmm. and, and now it's close um, that that will be removed. So we've had to think about where, where do we put our web server, our proper web server, our properly secured web server, Um, And that's part of this whole discussion. Um, So that's been removed. So you're not going to be able to rely on that as a system administrator. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But, um, you know, you'll have to think about where in your topology you'll have. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, totally. It. And that is a, a very important point. We have uh, one of my colleagues is working on multiple videos right now uh, for that learning point about uh, removing the private web server. So a good, a good thing to yeah. call out there. So one more uh, key question before we kind of wrap up here. Uh, this is you mentioned earlier documentation. This was something I had stumbled across in documentation as something that was also highlighted there. Um, but you see ZMirror entry points uh, referenced in a few different spots Tell us a little bit about what those are, why they're important um, when you're initializing a mirror member.
2: Yeah, so and so let's start off with saying that you might not need to,
0: okay. right? Good so yeah. uh,
2: it's it's that's one of the it's always been a, a powerful part of using the inner systems technology <laughs> is that it allows you to do things yourself. Right. <laughs> right it allows you to figure out to be creative to you know maybe um so in our um and that's and i think z and, and that routine code and and all of those entry points um uh fall into that right so so the other piece is that it's your application right so who i'm not sure you know who the listeners are but you know whatever their application is maybe yep. they need to use some of those um for health share the so there's an entry point so so zimer's routine if it if it exists it doesn't have to if it exists and you have an entry uh, you use one of the con- defined entry points okay there's one entry point called notify become primary and this is the one that we have utilized most um in the health share realm and what where where that gets called so if there's any code in that routine in that mm-hmm. uh uh Uh, entry point, um, it will be called when that mirror member becomes primary. So it's all the negotiation and figuring out with the arbiter and all of that's over. uh, And it's going to be able to serve up data. So that's when that entry gets called. And where we use that is um, at that point, we can put a little bit of code in there to send an email or a text or write to a log file a very specific log file, like right. something right. we we want, that code can go in there and someone knows that a failover occurred um, in a very timely way. Mm-hmm. Now that information's in a lot of other log files that, you know, so that, but it's a nice, so it's not a necessary thing maybe in your case, in yeah. anybody's right. case, but it's a nice thing. We have also used it to actually start our interoperability productions. Mm-hmm. So that would be a nice time to do that, right, is that, I become primary, I can do some checks maybe, um, and and then I can start my productions. Right. These days, uh, you know, uh, in the interoperability pieces of HealthShare, um, now have an auto start feature. Yeah. Um, right, right, right. In the HealthShare realm, we have to make the sure, though, that they start in the proper order. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the most part, um, uh, you know, that works just fine to just not use Zmirror and just mm-hmm. let... HealthShare do the starting by saying, you know, i auto start this one.
0: Right. Right. Um,
2: but that, you know, so that's the biggest thing I've seen with Zemir. We have had some installations where, um, business, if you're using systems iris, business intelligence, um, there might need to be a little bit of, um, just a a quick call to, to redo some tables. I mean, there is some, it's, this is documented, but it's those kinds of, uh, activities that, that you might put into Z mirror. Right. Um, Right.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. So, so some good, good stuff to know there about kind of, you know, those, those, uh, potentially edge cases, but also, you know, things that might be relevant for certain audiences with their startup or their failover, things like that. So kind of wrapping up here, uh, just to kind of conclude any other final thoughts or kind of, you know, generic lessons learned that you'd want to share with someone who's listened to all this and maybe is, you know, has a project coming up, they're going to be starting to use mirroring and, you know, any kind of general lessons that you'd say that stick with you uh, over time.
2: Um, Yep. (laughs) There's one (laughs) big one uh, and that's test it. Yeah. So you, you can do all this planning and you've, uh, you know, you set it up and you have your arbiter and you think that you, you know, you're copying the code across um, actually um, having in the plan at least, at least when you are uh, first installing and at any major upgrade, you know, make sure to do a failover test. Um, and what we, we'll do and uh, with, inner systems blessing is um because you know it's where we got this idea but there'll be a, a you know a stage environment or an environment just before your live environment where, where it looks just the same in a topology um uh, you know your infrastructure so the same number of mirrors you have a web server sitting out there um at least one but a web server sitting out that needs to find the mirror primary side you have a a load balancer that allows your JDBC, JDBC connection to come in, yeah. or whatever, um, and you test it. So they deploy the code, the initial round of code, uh, all your web pages, your all your new productions, your your, your set of fifty roles, and um, and 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 you fail over. You literally you know, shut it. You know, hard fail over. Um, Maybe, maybe if you get fancy, do something to um, uh, break the network that um, uh, so that you can test that the other side comes up. Mm -hmm. That's right, right. At least once, like, and sometimes it gets lost, right? right? right. So, once, once you have the infrastructure set up, everyone forgets that. There was a lot of work that went into yeah, that, right. and and you need you know, but but it, it's not really tested until the yeah. actual application, right? Right. Yeah.
0: There you go. So that's uh, number one takeaway. Probably make sure you don't <laughs> overlook that step. Yeah, make sure you test, it. test, test. Yeah. Um, so, Greg, you have tons of expertise on this topic. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, and uh, we'll have to talk to you again at some point about uh, the, you know the new features and the new uh, developments in this space. So, thanks again.
2: Good luck It's fun. Thanks. <music> Thanks again to
0: both Greg and Chad for spending the time to tell us all about mirroring. It's an important topic, and hopefully you learned something from their perspective and experience. That'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next time on Data Points.